morning. Um, I just got back from camp yesterday. I directed the first week, and, and Ben, our youth intern, uh, Renee's son, is directing the second week. I'm sure it's going to go great. Parents, there's nothing to worry about. Everything's going to be just fine. Uh, all your kids, that, all you guys that have kids up at camp, all of your kids came up to me and said, uh, told me, tell my parents I've been thinking of them daily uh, during my morning prayer time, and I, uh, I intend to write them every morning. I just didn't bring stamps. That's, they're all thinking about you. They're not thinking about everybody else up at camp. Um, all right, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, Ephesians four twenty-three. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. Much more easily said than done. My sister is a paramedic out in uh, Seattle, the Seattle area, and she sent me this picture uh, the other day. Everybody was fine. Nobody was injured. Uh, it was a single driver, um, not married, I don't mean that, it was just one person. They probably weren't married, but that's not what I meant. Uh, just one person, single car accident, um, and what had happened here was, I mean, as you can see, it's a pretty drastic situation, like they managed to get their car turned upside down. Now, the reason she sent me this particular picture, as a paramedic, you know, you see quite a few things. Um, and uh, it's, I'll tell you just this quick aside. She also used to work at Starbucks um, and then got this paramedic job. And so she's used to going up to people and saying, how's your day going? <laughs> so you can imagine if you walk up to somebody and be like, so how's your day going? It's not probably going super well at the moment. But uh, what happened in this accident was is the driver, um, and this is not trying to stereotype here, but the driver was a teenage girl. And she saw a spider in her car. Some of you are like, yes, that's exactly the, that's the proper reaction to seeing a spider. That's exactly what you should do. Um, and so she reacted. Or, or rather, I mean, I think most of us would probably agree, she overreacted to, to seeing that. You know, we've all been in cars. I, I've heard stories of people exiting moving vehicles because there was a bee in the car. Uh, yes, may or may not be my father-in-law. Won't point any fingers. Morally speaking, I think that we've, uh, we could probably safely say that we've caused a lot of accidents by the way we reacted. Now, I don't mean these aren't necess- uh, like deliberate choices, we thought through something and we did something that was, was immoral, we did something that was wrong. Um, they're, they're reactions to situations. You see something or somebody does something and you react and, and, and you cause sort of a, a moral traffic accident, right? You know, maybe everything, it's a dust up, a, you know, everything from a fender bender to, you know, totaled your car. Um, and let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about, of, of these reactions, not, not premeditated sins, but reactions. Uh, so, for example, you don't schedule losing your temper. You're not looking at your weekly calendar and saying, you know what, Thursday, 3 p.m., I am just going to blow a gasket. Uh, so I just wanted everybody to know. You don't do that. What happens is things, events pile up, people push your buttons enough, and then you just kind of lose it. You don't wake up in the middle of the night and decide to need, needlessly worry about something that you cannot do anything about. That's, you don't, you're not like premeditating that, like, who I'm going to set my alarm for 2 a.m. so that I can just really worry about this thing that I really can't affect with my worry. Maybe you set yourself 
a New Year's resolution uh, to complain less, to be more positive, to be less negative, you know? And then two days in, the temperature hits negative 20, and you just find yourself just kind of, all of a sudden, your perspective is right back where it was a couple days before. I mean, it's not like you planned that. You plan not to do that, and then, yet there it is. Maybe a coworker catches you off guard and asks about an email that you had agreed to send or something that you had agreed to do, and you, you say, oh, yeah, 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 I did that. I sent that email, uh, um, but you haven't. Did, and you say something like, oh, I'm, I'm almost positive. Uh, did you check your spam folder? That's a, that's a popular excuse. I'm sure I sent it. I'm sure I sent it. And it's not like you planned on lying to that coworker. They just kind of caught you off guard and just in the moment, you just didn't process it well and you didn't want to admit you'd done something wrong. They're reactions. And sometimes it feels like these reactions happen so quickly, it almost doesn't feel like you're even in control. It's just, it just happens. It almost doesn't feel like it's your fault. Morally speaking, we saw a spider just reacted. I mean, we still totaled the car, but it's not like we're weighing the pros and cons of these, these actions. There's no de- deliberation, rather. There's just reaction. And I think it's probably fair to say, um, and you can disagree with this, but our moral struggles aren't always and maybe aren't mostly sins of deliberation. They're sins of reaction. We just reacted to something. And we've lived with those reactions so long that they just feel like they become part of who we are. They're sins of reaction. We get reflexively angry. We get defensive. We just default toward the negative. And the crazy thing about it is, is we do not want to react like that. Like the part of our brain that is rational and reasonable does not want to do that. We don't want to react that way. And maybe you've told yourself, okay, I'm, I'm not going to react I'm just going to get on Facebook, and I'm going to scroll a little bit. Sure, I'll see a few opinions with which I disagree, but I'm not going to take the bait. And then 3 a.m. as you're typing up your manifesto, 2,000 words in, you're blocking old friends, don't like them anymore because of their political beliefs. You even, what's crazy about this is you premeditated not to react And yet, there you are. It almost feels like you're not in control. You saw that spider, and you reacted. How exasperating is that? When I was a kid, my parents tell me that they did this, which in retrospect seems slightly cruel, but we would... uh, we would go out to dinner after church, and back in the day, it's not like everybody had an Xbox or a PlayStation, so you, there would be a few arcade games in the, in the restaurant, and so my parents would take us all out, and they would pr- get, a, get a chair, prop it up, you know, I'm three, four, five years old, and stand me up, and then I'd be sitting in front of Frogger or Miss Pac-Man or whatever, and I would just be mashing away at the buttons, moving the joystick, but they would never put any quarters in. I didn't know any better. I didn't understand that, that my, my hitting of the buttons and my moving of the joystick had no real correlation to what was going on on the screen. And I don't know, maybe that's a little bit of what it feels like to have these reactions. It feels like, wait a second, what I want to do is this, and then what I end up doing in the situation when I'm actually up to bat, when the pressure's on, is this other thing. How exasperating is that? It sounds a lot like uh, Romans chapter 7 where Paul writes in verse 15 and, and then 18 and 19, he says, what I want to do, I do not do. 
The things I premeditate, the good things that I premeditate, I don't do those things. And the things that I hate, I hate about myself. I hate it when I complain. I hate it when I lose my temper. Those are the things that I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I don't seem to be able to carry it out. I'm just moving that joystick and pressing those buttons. Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. How exasperating is it to feel like we just don't have control over these reactions? And I know at the end of the day we, we realize, oh, sh- I'm sure I do somehow, but like in the pressure, when I'm up to bat, when, when, you know, when the game's on the line and I'm taking those last you know, uh, free throw shots, I just don't have it. I don't, I'm not able to react the way that I want to react. And for some of you, if, if, if you're honest, I think you probably feel, felt like that for decades when you were a kid, you were like, well, I'll grow up and I'll figure it out and it'll all be okay. And now you're not a kid anymore and you still don't have it figured out. So when you read Ephesians chapter 4, 23, be made new in the attitude of your minds, you're like, yes. How can we rewire what's going on up here so that, that I can actually feel like I'm in control? Like when I move the joystick, when I press the buttons, something's going to happen. When I see the spider, I'm still in control. How can I do that? Like help me figure that out. We'll come back to that verse, but the the essential question that we're asking is how do we get control of our minds? How do we get control of our minds? And that's the question we've been asking throughout this series. Last week we talked about how, you know, our minds are not a team player. They're doing things sometimes that we're just not on board with. Like, what's going on? Why are you thinking that thought? Why are you worrying about that thing? And how we have to set our minds on things above, Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. So we're going to look at this, Ephesians 4.23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. But before we do that, we're going to back up a verse and kind of work our way back toward that because I think there's some important concepts for us in these prior passages. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, kind of the first part of this. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To put off your old self. At first glance, you read a verse like this, and it sounds like it's that, you know, when you're down and you have someone come up and say, cheer up. That's really helpful. Thank you. That's, you just, you, you made my day. You solved my problems. I now am cheerful because you said to cheer up. And a verse like this kind of feels that way, like, okay, don't do bad things, do good things. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Okay, that sounds great. I don't want to be uh, losing my temper. I don't want to be impatient. I don't want to be negative. I don't want to be complaining, but it just feels like I default toward those right in the moment. I don't want that. Tell me how to not do those things. Like, give me something practical. I want you to think about our reactions just for a moment. Have you ever witnessed somebody uh, like overreact and then kind of mid-reaction, their reason catches up with their reaction and they're like, uh-oh, you know what I mean? Like maybe they misunderstood the situation or maybe they realize that they're, they lose their temper uh, and it's, it's, it's over the top relative to what the situation is. Have you ever seen that? So maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a spouse, you know, and you're having an argument and your spouse or your coworker or whatever, they just, they just kind of lose it. They just kind of lose it. And all of a sudden, they're like, they reacted, and then they're like mid-rant, mid-frustration, mid-lecture, mid-like blow-up, and they realize, oh, wait a second, my reasoning has now caught up to my reaction, and now I have a dilemma here. 
I've weighed, I'm waist deep in this, and now I have a dilemma. And the thing is, it's not just our coworkers and our spouses that have done this. We've been there too. We've all been in situations where we just kind of had it. We, we started complaining or we started whatever. Whatever the thing it is that, that you react that you don't want to do, maybe it's gossip. You're like mid-gossip. You're like mid-story. And then Julie said to me, and you're like, oh, wait a second. This is gossip. And you're like right there in the moment. Now what do you do? Your mid-reaction your reason catches up with your reaction, and now you're required to respond, like deliberately. Now your brain's engaged, and you have to figure out a response. And I think we do a couple of different things. What we do, um, and there's probably three major categories of reaction. Number one, sometimes we just double down on the reaction. So let me, let me illustrate it this way. So I brought this, this coat up here, this very nice coat. Um, it's actually my coat, and I found it in Lost and Found here at church. So, obviously, it's very near and dear to me, family heirloom. So, we react. Say, we put on our negativity. We put on our frustration. We put on our impatience. We put on our, our complaining. We put on our gossip. Right? We're reaction. We're reacting. And we're mid-reaction. We've got this on. It looks pretty good. This is kind of a work coat. I'm not sure. I don't do a lot of work in it. But I also found some markers to make it look really dirty. So that's what that is. My kids don't just draw on my clothes. Um, so we put this on. Like, we're mid-reaction. We've got the anger on. We've got the negativity on. We've got the gossip on. We've got the complaining on. We've got it on. We're mid-reaction. Reason, reason catches up and says, hey, uh, you're wearing that thing that you don't like. Now you've got to do something about it. And we do a couple different things. Number one, some of us just double down. We get angry, and we realize we're angry, and we don't want to admit that we're angry. And so we just, just hit the gas. We just pour gas on the fire. You see this sometimes, um, there's so much, so many of the examples of this. It's kind of comfortable, actually. It's another problem with our sin, right? <laughs> um, you see this reaction sometimes with videos where, where there's a protester, there's someone who's having a meltdown, and somebody whips out their video uh, camera and starts recording them, and then the person realizes they're being recorded, and they just, just really have a meltdown. And they just really start saying things that they're going to regret, and really start doing things that are going to get them plastered all over the evening news. Sometimes we just double down on our reaction, because we don't want to pull back. We don't want to admit that we're wearing the thing. Sometimes we say, and this is probably my go-to, we just say, okay, well, yes, I've got this thing on, and oh, that didn't go well, but I, I'm going to try harder next time not to react that way. I'm going to try harder not to be negative. I'm going to try harder not to get frustrated and, and upset. I'm going to try harder next time. But the problem is, is we're not taking off the anger or the frustration. We're just wear it. We're continuing to wear it. Sometimes we put more layers on, but we're continuing to wear the problem. I'll just try harder next time. But you know what happens when you're wearing that reaction? And the next time you have an opportunity to do something, and the next time somebody frustrates you or says something that bothers you, you're still wearing it, and you're still going to react the same way. So sometimes we double down. Sometimes we say, I'll just try harder next time. Or we can do the very difficult work of putting off our old self. And I think when we read that, we're just like, okay, stop doing bad things. That's not at all what this verse is saying. It doesn't say, oh, regard to your former way of life, just stop doing bad things. It says put off your old self. This jacket, this frustration, this anger, this impatience, this negativity, this complaint, this has become part of who you are. It's become part of who you are. And to peel, you are comfortable. You feel protected in this. And to peel it off is an excruciatingly difficult thing to do. To say, I'm going to take this off. 
And I'm going to go to my spouse and I'm going to say, you know what? I lied and I'm so sorry. Because the problem is, is now your pride's involved and there's just, you're just piling up the reactions. And going to that coworker and saying, you know what? I mean, this is hard. Imagine this. You know what? I told you that I sent you that email. I even said you should check your spam folder, but I, I didn't send the email. I'm really sorry. You know why that? You know why we keep the reactions on? Because taking them off is just too hard. Repenting to other people, confessing to other people is just too hard. So we just leave this on. And unless we're willing to deliberately engage in the painful work of putting off our sin, nothing is going to ever change. We're just going to walk around and 10 years later, we're still going to be reacting impatiently and negatively and we're going to be complaining and we're going to be judgmental and we're going to be doing all those things because we've never actually taken it off. We've never peeled off that old self. And it's not like taking off a jacket. It's like covering ourselves in super glue and just peeling it off. Or back when we used to use oil-based paint for everything and you'd get it on yourself and you'd be like, oh, that's going to be there for a week, you know. That's the hard work of peeling off our old self. And I don't think that we think about really what's involved. But unless we engage in that painful work, nothing is ever going to change. Because next time we see the spider, we're going to total the car again. Now, besides the inability to change uh, our thinking, there's another problem with continuing to wear the sin. And it's in the second half of this verse. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Oh, we've heard around church, growing up around church, sin is deceitful, sin is deceitful. But the danger of sin isn't simply that we're going to break a rule and God will get mad. That's not the danger of sin. I mean, that's probably a very, very, uh, you know, kindergarten version of what sin is. Well, God doesn't like it when you tell lies, so don't tell lies. But that's not the real danger of sin. That's not God's problem. God didn't create all this, this random stuff that he doesn't like just so we wouldn't do it. The real danger of sin is much more serious than that because it breaks a relationship. When you lie to someone, you've, you've damaged that relationship. When you've criticized, criticized someone, when you've used your words harshly, you've begun to damage that relationship. When we do those things before God, we've begun to damage that relationship with God. It's much more serious than just breaking a rule. I think we think of sin like a speeding ticket. Yeah, I was going a little too fast in, you know, the school zone or whatever and got a ticket or got a warning or got whatever and I'll try to do better next time. That's what we think of sin. And God's like, you don't understand sin at all if you just think I'm going to give you a warning and you're going to move on to the next thing. No, I want you to peel off that. But that's not even the worst part of it. The problem with sin is that sin hijacks our thought process. Sin hijacks our thought process. We put on that sin and we, pretty soon we're like, oh, hey, you know what? This actually looks good on me. I actually like this. I feel more comfortable. This is just who I am. This is just part of me. Rather than understanding that God's provided a way of freedom from that. It's not as simple as a speeding ticket. It's not as simple as a broken rule. It's like stepping onto a moving walkway and wondering why the world around you is moving. It's because sin pulls you away. It hijacks your thought process. It's like paddling in a canoe down a river, but you don't realize that there's a waterfall ahead of you. Sin is like, no, don't, don't look ahead. Don't worry about that. Sin, listen to this, sin isn't static, but sin starts to convince us that we're actually right to react those ways. That our reaction is good. Listen, sin can trick us into thinking that our self-destructive behavior is not only good, that it should be celebrated. 
That's the danger of sin. It doesn't just start off over here, but it moves us and pulls us. And pretty soon we're like, not only does this jacket look good, this jacket is part of who I am. I shouldn't take it off. People should love me for this thing that I'm doing, that I'm wearing. I was reading this uh, article, um, uh, and, and in the article it talked about these ants that they were scientists who spend their lives studying ants can I mean, I guess it's a career, right? But I can't imagine, right? I'm going to spend my life studying the behavior of ants. And what they did is they found that there were these certain ants, you know, they're all doing their ant thing, following the ant line, finding ant food and all that. But every once in a while, they'd find these ants that would like break off from the group and they would crawl up to the highest part of a blade of grass and just sit there and wait to be eaten by like a deer or a cow or whatever. And they're like, why, why do certain ants do that? And so they, you know, took a few ants and dissected their little ant bodies. I don't even know how you do this, but people, you know, spend years doing this kind of thing. And they found that certain ants had a parasite in their ant brains that, that the other ones didn't. And the ones that had this parasite happened to be ones that this parasite needed to be inside of a deer or a, or a cow or whatever, a grazing animal. And so this parasite would get in their brains, hijack their thinking, and make them engage in this self-destructive behavior for the purpose of the parasite. Well, that sounded to me a lot like sin. Sin convincing us that self-destructive behavior is actually good. It's actually good that I did that thing. It's actually a good thing that I'm, I'm acting that way, that I'm, I'm not overly critical. I'm just, I have high standards. I'm not negative. I'm realistic. I'm not complaining. I'm telling it like it is. It's a good thing. It should be celebrated. That's part of my personality. It's part of who I am. And God's saying, no, 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 that old self is gone, and you need to do the hard work of peeling it off. I want you to see what Paul says in regard to this, this sort of like moving walkway or like slippery slope of, of sin. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. This is just a few verses before where we are. He goes, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. It's a pretty like, hey, I insist. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Sin has hijacked their brains. Now, when he says Gentiles, those are your, what's Gentiles? He's essentially saying anybody that's not a Christ follower, anybody that hasn't seen the world and seen our own lives and seen sin with the clarity that Christ provides. He goes, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Wow, you can see, all right, don't the futility of their thinking, they're not following Christ, they're darkened in their understanding, they're separated from the life of God. I mean, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Hardening of the hearts. Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, moral sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And it's, he throws this in there. And they're also full of greed, too. It's a bad one. I Every kind of impurity. They're full of greed. And you can see this moving walkway just pulling people further and further and further away because they've said this, this sin looks good on me. This sin is comfortable. This sin is, is, is an okay thing. It should be good. It, it should be celebrated. We start to think that maybe our reactions aren't sin. They're just who we are. I'm sure everybody will remember reading War and Peace in high school, all right? Remember it in great detail. I'm sure you didn't skip over any sections. 
But there's part, uh, a, a story in there where a guy is starting to tell lies to get people to like him. And there's a line that I think is just so, so good. Um, it says that he could feel the truth starting to slip away from him. And pretty soon he wouldn't even know what the truth was. That's a great description of what it is like to just to live in sin and continue to wallow in it and continue to keep it on rather than doing the hard, excruciating work of pulling it off. Sin deceives as it corrupts. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. We finally made our way back to this verse. I don't want to react the way I react. I don't want to be negative. I don't want to be upset. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. How can I be made new in the attitude of my mind? How can I be made new? All right, what's the formula, Patrick? We've been sitting through all this other stuff about sin and blah, 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 blah. What's the formula? Help me figure out how not to react the way that I've been reacting. Help me rewire rewire the hard programming of my brain. Help me do that. What is the formula? What is the secret? What is the three-step process? I'm ready to write it down. Is there a video series I can watch? I'll watch those. Put, point me to the YouTube link. What is it that I need to do? What, is the, 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 what do I have to figure out in order to renew my mind? If you're looking for a formula, I apologize because you're about to be disappointed. Because the Bible never gives us a formula. There's no three-step process. There's no, hey, do these three things every morning before you eat breakfast and you will have a new mind by the end of the day. I did a lot of research, obviously, on on this topic, and there's a lot of promises out there from people. Here's the five ways to renew your mind. And then you'd read the article and you're like, I think you're just making stuff up. That doesn't, that's not what that verse says at all. In fact, this verse is really kind of tricky because right there in the verse is this this verb that is a passive verb, and it says, be made new. And, And in the original language, it's something that is done to us. It's not something that we do. It's something that is done to us. And it's this idea where, God, I do not want to react the way I've been reacting. I don't want to harbor those negative ideas. I don't want to be impatient or unkind. I just want to stop all those things. And God says, well, yeah, my responsibility, I'm the one who gives you a new mind. What what can I do? Nothing. (laughs) Well, no, no, no. Uh, Tell me, uh, I need need a step-by-step process. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, it's that passive verb that God does this to us. Now, I think it's fair to say that we can kind of clear the way. You know, you can, God's going to do the construction, but you can do the demo work, right? You can clear out the, the way. You can take off that old sin. You can present yourself open and ready for the transformation of Christ. But, but he's the one that transforms us. And actually, I think this is really good to take this transformation and this rewiring of our brain out of our hands. Because if it were up to us, I mean, we, we would want to, but man, our minds are pretty powerful. Our minds are, you know, it's hard to change old habits. Have you ever tried to change a habit? How many of you have had habits that you've like, I wanted to change that habit now for about 30 years? It's hard to change habits, habits of eating, thinking, doing. It's hard. That's why some of you have like gotten in your car and you were going to go to the store and you ended up at home. Like, what? how did that, wait, I'm meant to go to the store. Why am I at home now? Says you just, well, I'm just driving along, listening to the radio, just doing it. It's hard. It's hard. 
We can and do work against transformation, and I think we work against it every time we refuse to take off the old self. We work against it every time we excuse or blame or, or make somebody else the, the, the culprit of our own reactions, our own sin. But the process by which our instinct and reactions become more Christ-like, that's a work that Christ does in us. But this is good, because Christ is not only interested in transforming what we do, he is interested in transforming how we think. He wants us to be made new in the attitude of our minds. Our renewed mind is not something that we do, but something that is done to us. And this is where it's really important because a lot of you have been struggling with a lot of habits and a lot of reactions for a long time. Some of you are like, no, I've had a temper for years, and what do I, I don't want to be that way, but every time my wife says that, does that, or every time I get in traffic, or every time I'm at work, I lose it again. I don't want to be negative. I don't want to be critical. I don't want to be complaining, but every time there's something to be negative and critical and complaining about, that's what I do. Like how, I mean, this thing, this organ, this, this mind is powerful. But the good news for us is that Christ has taken on the responsibility of renewing our minds, and the power of Christ is greater than the power of our minds. But we do have to present ourselves to Him ready to be renewed, ready to take off that old self, ready to put on Christ likeness, ready to put on holiness and righteousness. We have to present ourselves that way. But most of us, I think, are like, you know what? I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be complaining. I don't want to be rude. I don't want to be negative, but I'm not going to take it off. That's hard. I don't, I'm just going to go ahead and keep this on. But renew my mind, God, and I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and continuing, continue to do these things. I'm not going to confess. I'm not going to go to somebody and apologize. I'm not going to really try to take off this sin, but renew my mind. And God's like, no, 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 no. You got to get that off you got to get that away from you. you got to peel that off as difficult and as painful and as humiliating as that may be for God to come in and renew our minds. It's good news that Christ is more powerful than our minds. That is good news. So let's do the hard work of taking off the old self and presenting ourselves to Christ ready for our minds to be renewed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much. Uh, Lord, when we think about our brains and think about all the stuff that's going on up there, uh, it, can be, uh, it can feel hopeless to feel like, how are we ever going to get control of that? How are we ever going to make our brains do and think the things that we want to do? Those of us that struggle with, with, with worry or frustration or, or whatever it is that happens in our brain that we don't want to struggle with, Lord, I pray that we could fully rely on you because we have done the hard work of we've been forgiven you have forgiven us of our sins but help us do the hard work of taking off our old self so that we can be renewed in the spirit of our minds in the attitude of our minds uh, through you we thank you so much for giving us that opportunity and giving us that hope it's in jesus name i pray amen you are dismissed